Bibles, we are going to take a small break from our study in Romans today. And so I'm going to invite you to turn, rather than Romans, to the book of Proverbs 29, verse 25. And if you are using a pew Bible, that's found on page 550. 550. You come here regularly, you know I don't do this often, but I, over the course of the week, felt more and more compelled to go this direction, so I'm assuming that that impression was from the Lord, and that's where we're going to land today. So Proverbs 29, verse 25, only one verse today. Now, I mentioned to you before, the book of Proverbs is Old Testament poetry, much different than the poetry we're accustomed to in English one of the things about Hebrew poetry is I've often called these proverbs vacuum-packed parables. You are familiar with the parabolic teaching, I think, in the New Testament. The Lord Jesus used that um, very often in his teaching. But these parables were a little longer. There were stories. But if you think of a proverb, it's kind of like a vacuum-packed parable. And it usually uses some type of contrast or repetition. But our passage this morning is very familiar. I want you to look at it with me. Proverbs 29, 25. Some of you have placed this to memory. Here's the word of God. The fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. Will you read that with me? The fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. One more time. The fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. According to the National Institute of Mental Health, phobias are one of the most common mental illnesses in the United States today with adults. According to NIH, approximately 13% of adults in the U.S. deal with some specific phobia. Now, when I mentioned phobia, this is something that you are afraid of. Now, when I looked at the list, I noticed that the symptoms for each of these phobias are similar. The symptoms go from nausea to trembling to rapid heartbeat, a feeling of unreality, and just being simply preoccupied with the object of your fear. Now, some of them, I have to admit, I've never met anyone that had these phobias. They seem quite strange to me, but there are those that experience them. I imagine they wouldn't have made the list, one of which was amaxophobia. That's the fear of riding in a car. There's bibliophobia, fear of books. I, I've I've met some children and young people and even adults that uh, that's true of. This is one that I think that I might have experienced. It's called illerophobia. That's fear of cats. Um, that's not always my emotion towards cats, but it's similar. Octophobia. This is the fear of the number eight. Just anybody willing to say if that's your... You know, okay, right. There's scoptophobia, which is the fear of being stared at. Some of you, some of you are getting nervous. And the one I want to speak to you about today is actually what I believe to be the, the pandemic of all phobias. At least it's the one that's referred to often in the Word of God, either prescriptively or descriptively. And it's technically called anthropophobia. It's the fear of people. It's the fear of humans. Why would anybody fear other humans? Well, it's a good question. Well, humans can do a lot of damage to you, yes? Okay, well, you don't know a lot then. Yes, they can. I should get an amen there. They can expose you. They can humiliate you. They can reject you. They can ridicule you. They can despise you. 
They can hurt you. They can attack you. They can kill you. So to be afraid of people is not that amazing, is it? But the scriptures actually call it something else. It doesn't call it anthropophobia. And if you're a teenager, you probably have heard your parents or another teacher or a youth pastor or perhaps even me say, hey, don't allow peer pressure to conform you. Peer pressure is another way to describe what the scriptures here call the fear of man. Sometimes we call it codependency. If you look it up in other manuals, it is called relationship addiction. Sometimes it's recently have been called dependent personality disorder. But the scripture says it's the fear of man. So if you look at your text again, he says the fear of man actually brings a what? It lays a snare. So what exactly is the fear of humans? I believe this passage teaches us this one broad statement. I want to keep it simple this morning. Here it is. The fear of man is simply this. It's the person that I long to please the most is the person who controls me. This passage is going to teach us that the person that you long and are obsessed with the most in pleasing and making them like you is going to be the person who controls you. Now, what does this fear of man look like? I was doing some reading, of course, on this this week, and I started also asking the Lord to reveal things in my heart, and I started just kind of writing some things down, and then observations in ministry of 20, almost 24 years. And so I've got my personal life, I've got my family life, I've got pastoral ministry. And so I kind of worked those together and I thought, okay, so what does fearing humans look like? And then there were even some more current ones that I wrote down, even in the age that we live in. But it can look like this. It can be avoiding activities because of fear of criticism or disapproval or rejection. In the church, it can be avoiding using your spiritual gifts because you might fail. It can be the lack of getting involved because certain people might not like you. It can be never really getting close in relationships and being vulnerable with other people because you are scared that you will be exposed and shame will come. You can be preoccupied with being rejected you can be slow or unable to take personal risk and do anything that would be the potential of failure. There could be the feelings of inadequacy, anxiety, fear of rejection, easily hurt by criticism. Always going around with this invisible crowd, an invisible audience that you want to affirm you. You could put fear of man in a lot of modern categories but I, I want you to see three things this morning. One is this is a very common problem. This is my first point. And it's a common problem not just in the modern, secular, psychological um, terminology. You open up your Bible, and as soon as the fall takes place, the fear of man shows up. Have you noticed that in your Bible reading? Now, some of us are reading the Bible straight through. And as soon as the fall takes place, as soon as Adam and Eve sin against God... There's a lot that happens, but one of the things that shows up is fear. Now, fear is not all bad in a fallen world. Do we understand that? Are you with me? Some fear actually will save you from danger, both physical and spiritual. So there is a fear in a fallen world that helps you understand that certain things are dangerous, certain things could destroy you. 
You should have a healthy fear for fire, a healthy fear for electricity, a healthy fear for all kinds of things that could destroy you. That's not a bad thing. In a fallen world, it's very necessary to keep you from dying prematurely. There's also the fear of spiritual danger. In a fallen world, we can be attracted to it. We can fall in it. We can be destroyed by it. And the Bible says the fear of the Lord actually will cause us to depart from evil, to run from it. So all fear is not necessarily bad fear, okay? But what we find is this fear of man is never placed in a good category. And I want to be careful what we're talking about here. We're not saying that if you don't fear man, that means you're disrespectful and rude to people. Sometimes people say, well, I don't care what anybody thinks. So they're rude to their authorities, they're rude to other people, and they think that's somehow this boldness. That's not what's being described as the fear of God versus the fear of man. But this fear of man will, will paralyze us. It will entrap us. It will cause us to be the slaves of it. That's what this passage teaches us. So I want you to see, first of all, it is a common problem. It goes all the way back to the fall. And Adam and Eve are sinning, or have sinned, and they go and hide themselves. And what do they say the reason for hiding was? We were naked. We, 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 we were afraid because we were naked. All of a sudden, shame has entered the picture. And fear and hiding and the potential of being vulnerable and exposed as a, as a pretender, as somebody less than who others think you to be. And there's only two humans on the planet at this point. So we already notice it when there's only two humans on the planet and they are experiencing this fear of humans, this fear of man. It's a universal struggle. It is a frequent issue. Now, we could start with Adam and Eve, but it doesn't take us long till we get to Abraham and Isaac. And what are they doing? They're afraid because they got beautiful wives that they're going to kill them and take their wives. So they tell their wives to do what? Lie. Tell them you're my sister, okay? And that will keep them from killing me. And we can stay married. <laughs> I can stay alive. So we see fear of man there. We keep fast-forwarding in our, our scripture reading, and we see it in other places, but I would like you to see it when the spies go into the promised land. And they're told to see that the Lord has actually provided for them what he said he would, a place flowing with milk and honey, that it would be a, a wonderful land that he's given to them. Twelve men went to spy on Canaan, and how many were bad? Ten were bad. Two were good, right? I won't sing the song for you. But the ten come back, and they say, it's exactly as God described it, a land flowing with milk and honey. Big old grapes. It's going to be a great place to live, except there's a problem. They have these giants in the land, and we're like grasshoppers. And we're told at that point, all of the people's heart fell, and they were discouraged. They began to say, why can't we go back to Egypt? What was the key problem there? They believed that they needed to fear man more than trust the promises of God. You get to 1 Samuel and you find a man, the first king of Israel, King Saul, and he is wanting to please the people. So he goes ahead, he won't wait on Samuel. He goes ahead and makes a sacrifice. He's not supposed to do that. Later on, he's supposed to kill all of the the. The inhabitants of the land, they're supposed to kill all of the animals, but he keeps some back for themselves. And he says, the people, the people were going to leave me. They weren't going to follow me if I didn't do this. 
And then we come to the New Testament, and it isn't long before we see it there too. In John chapter 12, verse 42, you may want to jot this down. Nevertheless, many, even of the authorities, believed in Jesus, but for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. For they love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. Then, of course, Peter denies the Lord Jesus after saying he'd never do that. And he denies it not to a big, strong dude, a little servant girl. You're one of his disciples too, aren't you? And you remember how he denied three times. He began to curse to try to disassociate himself from Jesus. Later on in Galatians, we're going to see, and we'll look at this passage in just a minute, that Peter doesn't learn his lesson completely because even in Galatians, he begins to fear the view of the Judaizers and of those from Jerusalem and of even James. So I want you to see this. This is not like a modern 2022 problem. This is a problem that has been plaguing mankind, humanity, since the fall. But I do believe it has become even a larger pandemic, if I could use that word, a regularly used word right now, in our culture, in our church, and with people. Why so? Well, first of all, again, I want to I remind us that this is not something that the person beside you or in front of you or behind you struggles with and you don't. This is part of our human fallen nature of desiring for the approval and the applause of others. It's what leads us when we buy a new car to park it out in the front of the church and to take one of the guest parking spots so everybody sees that you've got a new car. Not that anyone has done that lately. It's what causes us to place our best photos on social media rather than our worst photos on social media. In fact, if you were just looking at it sociologically, what has caused the fear of humans to increase in our lifetime? Well, you could go back to things like the creation of social media back in 1997, and I think Facebook started in 2004. And now the, the audience and the digitally enhancing your photos and only placing up this almost this avatar of the life you want to have and this comparison, comparing your life with other people's lives and the depression that not only teenagers, but adults face as they scroll and compare their unhappy life with this happy life that's always so picture perfect. So I do believe in a society where technology and social media has ramped up, the fear of man and what do people think about me and how many likes or shares or um, affirmations did I receive can make or break your day. I wish this was only a problem with teenagers. But some of you adults in this room, you know that you can live and spiral into great depression over just scrolling for 30 minutes on social media. You add to that living in the culture that we live in today where everything's the ideal self-presentation. There's this either even a false self-presentation that we all feel necessary to project you go back to the removal of, of God from the public consciousness in our society. So we go way back before social media. And I'm certainly not saying that we should try to have a Christian nation. That's not what I'm speaking of. I'm simply saying that when a nation forgets that there's a God or acts as if or teaches its citizens that there is no God then instead of comparing ourselves with the standards of God and enjoying the Judeo-Christian values that we had once in this culture, 
Now we only can compare ourselves with other what? Humans. Even the time we live in the last couple years, I mean, all of us have been victims on either side of this, I imagine. How we responded to the pandemic. Did you wear your mask everywhere? Did you quarantine as properly as you should have? Or did you not? Which one did you show? Do you really fear God or do you fear man? Do you really care about people or do you not care about people? We knew when the entire bubbling up of social justice happened last year, the descriptions of who really cares about Minorities and who really cares about social justice became so much virtue signaling of what side are you on? And it was the pressure wasn't just on the general population, but I want to say to you as one of your pastors, it, it, the pressure's here too. I mean, how woke are we? Or how concerned are we about the concerns and cares and hurts of other people? You say, why are you bringing these up? I'm just trying to say to you, this is a problem that's been since the fall. But we're living it in an amplified way now like we've never lived it before. Has there ever been a moment where you were more afraid to say what you really believe than now? I, I'm just asking you. Maybe that isn't your setting, but more believers I talk to and unbelievers I talk to, it's the setting we live in now. It's the cancel culture syndrome of no one can truly just speak what they believe to be true because they always have to calculate how does this come across to everybody's ears. So if the fear of man used to be a snare and it's always been a snare, I would just suggest to you that it's more of a snare now than ever. And I think we're kidding ourselves if we don't understand this. And as God's people, what does that mean for us? I'm certainly not suggesting, guys, just go out there and let your mouth fly open. That's boldness, that's courage. I've already mentioned that's not boldness, that's not courage, that's foolishness. But what I am saying to you is we live in a world and in a country and in a time period where this fear of humans' opinions of us has never been more enslaving than I believe it is right now. I've even begin to, I hope you understand that when I study passages like this, that I spend my time in the Word, and I'm not just trying to say, okay, how could I share this with you? I've got this mirror on me all week. And I started thinking, okay, so how many times do I get up to preach? And my biggest desire is I hope you like it. Some of you are you're ashamed for me to even say that, but, but I want to tell you it's a struggle. I want you to like me. I really want you to like me. I don't, thank you, Joe. <laughs> Joe knew I was struggling. I'll hug you later. But these desires aren't like just for the lay people, okay? We understand that this is a struggle that we all have because we idolize the affirmations and the opinions of other people. I've even noticed when I'm running, and you runners in the room, you know this can be a temptation. You're out there running and and someone comes by and, and you kind of pick up the pace a little bit and you want to make sure I look like I really was a good runner. And then when they leave, you're like, oh. <laughs> or you only post on social media the really good times. And when you were slow as molasses, you didn't post that run. It's like it didn't happen. <laughs> we all struggle with this, but I want you to see, it says the fear of man is really this, this evident 
malady that we have because we're fallen creatures that we want everyone to affirm us. But what happens invariably is we become more concerned about looking stupid, the fear of people, than acting sinfully and not fearing God. See, the problem I have found in my own life is, is this idol of wanting the affirmation and the applause and the support and the pleasing of others causes my view, and there's a great book out by um, Ed Welch called When God is Small and People Are Big, or When People Are Big and God is Small, and, and one of the things he references there is that so often what happens when we allow people's opinions to be so large in our minds, God's opinion and his presence in our life becomes so very small. What happens when we fear man? Well, we become discouraged, we lack peace, we envy, we're jealous, we're ungrateful, we have mood swings, we're fickle, some of us experience insomnia, we're insecure, we're impulsive in our behavior, we're tempted to be unethical at work because we want to please everyone or we don't want to lose something that's valuable to us. We don't share the gospel with someone because they might reject us. We all know what this looks like in the varied chapters of our lives, but this passage teaches us once again in verse 25, the fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. So the person I long and I'm obsessed with pleasing the most are people. Those are the people, are the person that controls me. I want you to see, secondly, though, it's not only a common problem that humanity struggles with. We see it throughout the scriptures. And I want to encourage you, when you have time, to go back to some of these narratives and see how this works itself out. Almost every time you'll see that the person in the narrative who's struggling with the fear of humans, the fear of people, there's something they want and because they will not get it, if they don't please the people, they opt for pleasing the people. Secondly, it's a controlling power. It lays a snare. Do you see that here? Now, this word for snare is a Hebrew word that means to basically put a noose of some sort, a rope, to try to entrap an animal. I want you to notice that the word fear in this passage is a unique word. It's not the normal Hebrew word for fear. It means to tremble or be paralyzed. It's actually used to describe our fear of the Lord. It means to reverence the Lord or to bow down. So when it's used about humans, and this is the Hebrew word Adam, you hear Adam there, that's exactly what it is. He's not talking about just fearing males. It can be females. Okay, so he's saying humanity in general, it's this trembling before them. It, it's I need your approval so badly, I could describe this as human worship. So again, I, I want you to see, he, he's not just saying, okay, hey, don't care about what people think. Let's get on to the next proverb. This is one of those spiritual laws that we have in the Old Testament, but it's repeated in the New Testament. And I've got that at the bottom of your handout. The New Testament re repetition of that is from the Apostle Paul. He says, for am I now seeking the approval of man or of God, or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be the what? The servant of Christ. So he uses this trapping terminology or picture. He says, what happens is when we're seeking the pleasure or the pleasing or the approval of men, of humans, it's going to lay a snare, a trap for us. It's addictive. It's life dominating. It's enslaving. 
It's like trapping. Now, I have not done much trapping. There are some of you in this room that have done a lot of trapping. You go out and do all kinds of cool stuff with, with trapping animals. Um, I do have a little experience, though. In New Hampshire, we had a mice problem in one of our homes. And so that was my only real experience with trapping animals. And I got a bunch of those from the hardware store, those little mouse traps. And I put my cheese or my peanut butter on them. Messed up my fingers a few times when they, they released it improperly. But uh, I, I remember laying those things all around the house and then going back to check them. And there was something so satisfying to find, you know, I'm sorry, but one of those mice dead right there in my trap. It was satisfying because I was like, you know, wonder what went through that little mind right before. You know, he smelt it, he saw it, you know, he goes right up there and whack! That's it. Well, well here's the picture though. The, the picture is this animal, they, they are entrapped because generally speaking, what I do understand about entrapment of animals is you have to give them something that they're, they're wanting, something generally that's going to be something they can eat. And what attracts them. And so what he's saying here is the, the, the desire for human approval, it, it's like an animal going into a trap. It draws you. You want it so badly. I can just taste it. If everybody will like me, if I can get affirmation and I can get support and everybody's happy with me, that's what I really want. And you don't realize that that is actually the moment of your enslavement. You just got placed under the control of the person who you most desire to please you see that in the text i mean it's very picturesque he says the fear of man lays a what a snare a trap truth of the matter is some of us right now are in that trap we don't know what it's like to live a life of peace and courage without the weight of what does everybody think about me and we know it's enslaving. We know that it causes us not to do the things that God has called us to do. We know about those moments, but I want you to see this in real time. Turn over to Galatians 2, probably the most famous New Testament example of this. But in Galatians 2, look at verse 11. But when Cephas came to Antioch, that's Peter, I opposed him, this is Paul, to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he did what? He drew back and separated himself, here it is, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted also hypocritically along with him so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the what? The gospel, I said to Peter, before them all, if you though a Jew live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like a Jew? So this is a gospel issue. Paul says, here's what Peter was doing. This is why he confronted him. Peter understood this very well. Remember his vision in Acts chapter 9? That big tablecloth of all kinds of good stuff? We got bacon, lobster, all of that on that, that nice tablecloth. And what does Peter say in his vision? That's unclean. And God says, don't you call unclean what I've made clean. Kill and eat. <laughs> I love that verse. Kill and eat, okay? All right, all of us carnivores in here, right? So he, he says, kill and eat. And then in Acts 10, though, he leads him to Cornelius. This Roman centurion, this Gentile 
who's born again. He's born again as he hears the gospel. The Holy Spirit comes down on him. So Peter had experienced this, but Peter still had this problem, this residual impact of his old nature. He still wanted to please everybody. And so he was enjoying some good pork roast with the Gentiles until the delegation from Jerusalem came. And then he was like, guys, he pulled back from the table. It's very picturesque. He says, you just pull back from the table when the Jewish council comes, friends of James come. So rather than being consistent, it's all because you feared the party of the circumcision. You feared the Judaizers. You feared their opinions. So right now you denied the what in order to be pleasing to man. You denied the what? The gospel. So I want you to see it's not like just Old Testament stuff. Paul's saying that kind of hypocrisy actually denies the good news of Jesus Christ that he has brought both together, both Jews and Gentiles, without or apart from the law. You see that? So you can make big and small decisions based on the fear of humans that can be destructive and enslaving to you. And some of us in this room right now are making those kinds of big decisions. Now, we obviously know that there are small decisions we can make. I didn't say this or I didn't say that. I probably should have said this. I probably should have done that, because, but I feared that person's opinion of me. But sometimes these decisions, as we look at life, we say those were really big decisions and they had huge consequences. And at the core and root problem was a fear of humans. Perhaps it's the college you're going to attend, young person. Perhaps it's the person you're thinking about marrying in this room. Perhaps it's a vocation. Maybe it's a move. Maybe it's a change of, of vocation, school, job. What you find out is when you're fearing humans, you're not really free. And the gospel declares that if you believe the truth, the truth will set you what? Folks, can we admit this? This proverb is true. Can I get an amen? This is true. I'm not going to ask for a hand raising, but how many of you have lived this? You know what it's like. I cannot enjoy freedom of conscience, freedom of life, peace, when I'm all enslaved by what everybody in the world thinks about me. It's enslaving. It causes us to make poor decisions and more decisions that cause us more enslavement. You say, well, is this like some kind of easy fix? I mean, let's go back to Proverbs 25, 29. He says that the fear of man lays a snare, or 29, 25, but whoever trusts in the Lord is what? I want you to understand this. If you, if you miss some of this other, don't miss this. The fear of man will not provide you for what you really want. It's deceptive. Those of us that struggle with wanting everybody to like us and affirm us and please us, we know what this, this dead end is. It's a dead end. There's no through traffic. What you were chasing after and you thought, if I got that group or that person's approval and affirmation of my life, then life would be glorious and peaceful. And it's like the dog who chases the car. What does he do with it when he gets it? You find out it really didn't satisfy. In fact, I'm more enslaved now than I was. So what's the solution? Here it is. It's a contrasting proverb. This is the third point I want you to see here. Look at verse 25 again. The fear of man lays a what? But whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. 
And this is a contrasting proverb. When we use poetry in English, what do we enjoy doing? We love to rhyme sounds. Roses are red, violets are blue, your feet stink, and stuff like that. We, we just enjoy that kind of rhyming. Hebrew poetry is not like that. Hebrew poetry rhymes ideas, rhymes meanings. Sometimes what we have, like in verse 22, you're already in chapter 29. When you look back up in verse 22, here is what we call a synonymous parallelism. He's going to say something, then say it again a different way. Look at this. This is Hebrew poetry. Instead of rhyming sounds, it rhymes meanings. Are you with me? Look at verse 22. He says, a man of wrath stirs up strife. So angry people stir up more anger. True? Yes. He's going to repeat it. And one given to anger causes much what? Transgression. Now I want you to see the other type of parallelism. This is not the only two, but there are two here. Antithetical parallelism. This is just a contrast. Look at verse number 23. One's pride will bring him low. Okay, so now we're going to contrast that. But he who is lowly in spirit will obtain what? So you see the contrast. So when I'm reading Hebrew poetry, I'm not looking for rhymes. I'm looking for either a synonymous parallelism, he's going to repeat it, or he's going to contrast it. Is everybody still tracking with me? Which is verse 25? Is it synonymous or antithetical? Okay, do you pass the quiz or fail it? <laughs> it's antithetical. Look at it, verse 25. The fear of man lays a snare, but what's the opposite? Those who trust in the Lord will be what? They will be safe. Now, this word safe is the same Hebrew word that we see earlier in poetry that says the name of the Lord is a strong tower. And those who believe in it and trust in it will run to it and they will be what? Safe. It means to be elevated out of the reach of danger. I don't feel like you're getting this. <laughs> What, what he's saying is in contrast to fearing people and finding yourself enslaved and trapped and always paralyzed about everybody's latest opinion of you, if you will simply trust in Jehovah, you'll be up in a tower without the reach of all of those people you were trying to please. That they won't be able to get to you. You see the picture here? This is like, wow, that's a great poem. But it's not just a poem, it's scripture. So what does it mean to trust in the Lord? He's saying that gospel removes a man-pleasing drive, the spirit that I need the approval of people. I don't need that anymore. So let's bring it back to some of the applications I just gave you. If I desperately care if you like my sermons, you can know this, I'm not trusting the Lord. That's the contrast. If you desperately want the acceptance of you fill in the blank and the approval and the admiration, you fill in the blank, who it is. Is it a group? Is it a person? Is it your spouse? Parents, is it your children? I want my children to like me. Some of you, it is your spouse. Your greatest desire is not to love them, but for them to like you and approve you and affirm you. We can make idols out of all kinds of relationships, can't we? And what he says here is the opposite is true. If, if I desperately need my spouse's approval, my children's approval, my church's approval, 
you know at that very moment, the contrast is you're not what? Trusting. Do you see that? So how do we grow in this? Now, now thankfully, people like Peter, who denied the Lord three times with this little servant girl, later in Acts, when he's filled with the Spirit, he stands in chapter 4, and they say to him, we're going to lock you up. We might even kill you like we did James. And he's like, you know what? Acts 5, actually. He says, um, whether to please you or please God, that's not really a question. I'm going to please God. I'm going to keep preaching. So there were moments where you see this, lit, this glimmer of growth in Peter's life. But I want you to just end with me by seeing this is how we grow in understanding and, and growing over the fear of humans. Turn to Ephesians 1, 6. Ephesians 1, 6. It is a gospel issue. This is not a light switch. We don't all leave here today and we no longer fear people. I wish it was that easy, right? But Ephesians 1, 6 gives us the gospel perspective that we need here. Verse 6 says, To the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the what? The beloved. Some of you have the translation, he's accepted us in the beloved. What he's saying here is that in Jesus, you have been completely received by the Father and accepted. He sees you now as completely righteous in Christ. There is no charge that any human can ever place on your account, ever. In Romans 8, he says, listen, if God is the one that justifies, who can lay any charge to you? What does it mean for a human to be dissatisfied with you? You've been accepted by the only one that matters in Christ. So Ephesians 1.6 is going to teach us that the fear of man is overcome by a trust in God and that trust only increases as I further push into and understand my unconditional, because I'm in Christ, acceptance from God. That when he sees you, he could never be more pleased with you than he currently is. That's what it means to be in Christ, folks. I've said this to you before. Can you hear in your ear what Christ heard from the Father? This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well. Can you hear that gospel truth? It will free you, progressively free you from the, the slavery of people's opinions. But I do want to finish by asking the question, are we able to identify these areas? I've given you some suggestions, but I want you to turn finally to Colossians chapter 4, verse 22. Colossians chapter 4, verse 22. Where again, the Apostle Paul is referring to this malady of fearing humans. Colossians 4, Verse 22, I'm sorry, 3, verse 22, not 4, 3. There's not a 22, 4. Some of you realize that, whoa, this is a joke. Uh, 3, 22. Bondservants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of what? As what? People pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. So I want to ask you this, and I'm going to read a few from the book that I referenced to you and would commend to you when people are big and God is small from Ed Welch. But are you able to query your own heart, diagnose your own spirit to say, what areas do I find myself enslaved by people's opinions? I want to just ask a few of these questions in closing. Here's one that might hit us all really hard. Are you overcommitted? Do you find it hard to say no? 
even when wisdom indicates that you should because you're a people pleaser? Do you need something from your spouse? Do you need your spouse to listen to you, respect you, unless you understand the biblical parameters of marital commitment, your spouse will become the one you fear? Is it self-esteem? Is, is that what you really want? What about this? Do you ever feel as if you might be exposed as an imposter? Are you always second-guessing decisions because of what other people might think? Are you afraid of making a mistake that will make you look bad in other people's eyes? Do you feel empty or meaningless? Do you experience love hunger because people haven't affirmed you recently? Do you easily get embarrassed? Do you lie, especially those what we refer to as the little white lies? What about cover-ups where you are not technically lying with your mouth, but you're trying to make yourself look better rather than worse? Are you jealous of other people? Are you controlled by their possessions and their talents and their gifts? Do other people often make you angry or depressed? Do you feel like they're making you crazy at times? Do you avoid people? These are questions that may or may not have hit the mark where you struggle. But I want to encourage you, like here, the Apostle Paul, he's doing these house rules. So he deals with the husband, the wife, the children. Now he's dealing with the slaves. And he says, okay, while you're working, don't do this so you curry favor from your master. But actually, look for God's pleasures, God's eyes, his fear. And what I want you to do is I want you to work through your life and ask the question, where is the fear of humans causing the slavery? It will always be a trap. Hear this again, folks. The person that I fear the most, the person that I desire to please the most, will be the person who's control of my life. Let's pray. Lord, we confess to you that we often fear people. Our concern is not to be viewed as stupid or ignorant or a failure in other people's eyes. And we fear that more than we fear acting in a sinful way thinking in a sinful way, disobeying you. So Lord, we confess to you that we are, many of us are bound by this malady of the fear of humans, the fear of people, the desire to please everyone around us. And we ask, Lord, for rescue. We pray that you would just infuse into our hearts an understanding of our acceptance before you in Christ, that our confidence would grow that we are without sin before you that you now have declared us righteous and that we would be able to move on with confidence not enslaved by everyone's opinions or affirmations Lord we pray that you would give us honesty as we allow the spirit of God to search our hearts even later this afternoon maybe this evening as we just Quietly wait before you and ask, oh Lord, where is the fear of man laying a snare in my life? Lord, help us to be honest, to repent. And Lord, we pray that we would be filled with this wonderful gospel strength and courage that Paul says it's impossible to serve Christ and please people at the same time. And we pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.